Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Looking forward, I mean, to 2013, I mean, we, the expectations were decently high. And then the nightmare happens, okay? You talk about Jacksonville State, a team without a hyperlink. They <laughs> lost to a team without a hyperlink. They lost to Georgia Southern. Uh. You will not allow it to be called the Georgia-Florida line after the unhyperlinked game, as we'll call it. Is it appropriate to call it the Florida-Georgia Southern line? I'm not answering this question. (laughs) These are the tales of college football past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons, on and off field moments, memories of personal fandom catastrophe and elation, and yes, alcohol. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. I'm Joe. And I'm Kyle. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the college football stories. I'm Trevor Sikama from Pro Football Focus, and I'm going to tell you the story of the 2012 Florida Gators football team. This was a very special season for me, as it was my first as a student at the University of Florida. I didn't originally go to UF. I went to a small Christian university down in Lakeland, Florida, Southeastern University. And once I realized that I wanted to get into media and broadcasting, I ended up transferring over to UF. And the great part about this story for me, it was it was really my first exposure to college football as a whole. Neither of my parents really went to college, certainly not big colleges. And so I didn't really have a college football allegiance. You know, around my house growing up, we were into pro sports. I grew up just south of Tampa, and we were into all kinds of Tampa Bay sports. But Saturdays, I watched college football. I liked college football, but there wasn't that allegiance. I didn't have that dying allegiance anywhere until – I went to UF and my goodness, I could not have picked a better season to really have as a first time fan of a football program. Now, I know a lot of people are listening to this, maybe some Florida Gator fans and like, wham, why aren't you doing the national championship years or like one of the Tebow teams? And like I just said, that doesn't hold personal significance to me. I wasn't a Gator fan at the time when they were going through their excellence during the Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow eras. And so those I wouldn't be able to recall nearly as good as I could 2012 and 2013. And hopefully the emotion and the happiness and also the pain that I'm going to speak through with this season is going to make up for it for one hell of a story. Now, in 2012 and 2013, to give you a little lay of the land to really kind of recap where the Florida football program was at this point, this was year two of head coach Will Muschamp. And 
Will Muschamp came to the University of Florida from Texas. Now, he had been a couple of different places. He had been at LSU under Nick Saban's staff. He had spent a year as an uh, assistant head coach with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, he was then the defensive coordinator at Auburn. Then Texas poached him to be their defensive coordinator and basically told him, you are Mac Brown's head coach in waiting. So Mac Brown was still at Texas. But the thing was, Mac Brown wasn't really going anywhere. And, and, and that's, that's at least what they thought at the time around 2010 because Texas had just been in that national championship against uh, Alabama. And so there wasn't really an immediate plan for Mac Brown to leave. So then when everything happened with Urban Meyer and the downfall of the Florida football program quickly after Tim Tebow left, Urban Meyer had that one year in 2010. I believe they went eight and five that season. And then the health issue thing came up. And all of a sudden, this dynasty, this head coach who was going to be at the University of Florida and win them multiple national championships for, for, for decades and, and more, that was gone. And Urban Meyer was all of a sudden out. Florida and Jeremy Foley, the, offense, the, the, the athletic director at the time, they went after one of the hottest potential head coach names who was about to come up in Will Muschamp, and they poached him. That was in the 2011 season. The 2011 season was Will Muschamp's first as a head coach. That year, they went 7-6, and six, and that was really the last year of, I'll say, the Urban Meyer players. Like, still on that team was John Brantley, was Chris Rainey, was Jeff Demps, and uh, like there were, there were all of these players who were these speed element players coming off of that Tebow era, and it was really the last reminiscent of those guys for that seven and six season. And I remember when I got accepted to Florida and when I was like, okay, like I got to really care about college football now. I'm going to be like a diehard college football fan. I remember watching a video and it was Will Muschamp addressing his team after the final game in 2011. And he basically told him, he's like, hey, you know, above 500, it's a good year. It's a solid year. You guys had a building block. But his quote was, you didn't come here to be seven and six, and I didn't come here to be seven and six, all right? <laughs> and he's like, we're going to be a lot better than this the next season. And I remember that video, and it just got it got me fired up, man. I was, so, I was so pumped about it. I was so pumped for 2012. And that's really how we went into that 2012 season is, is there was a lot of momentum. There was a lot of positivities, everything like that. And when you look at the roster from 2011 to 2012, there was reason to believe that 2012 was about to be something special. They had Jeff Driscoll and Jacoby Bursett, who Jeff Driscoll was a five-star quarterback from California. And, you know, you say whatever you want about Urban Meyer and him leaving the program high and dry, but the man knew how to record, recruit guys with five-star labels because he obviously had Tim Tebow. He got Cam Newton into the program before Cam Newton left. John Brantley, for even though he wasn't very good once he got to college, he was a five-star guy. Jeff Driscoll was a five-star guy. Jacoby Bursett was also on this roster. They had Jordan Reed, who was a tight end, tight end quarterback option. Same thing with Trey Burton as a tight end quarterback option. Like They were loaded at quarterback. So there was reason to believe that with Jeff Driscoll and Jacoby Bursett kind of battling it out, whoever's going to win that camp battle was going to give them a good look at, at, uh, at quarterback. Mike Gillisley was going to take over after the departure of Chris Rainey and Jeff Demps. A lot of people were excited about that. And then, oh, guys, this defense. I mean, this defense. Looking back on it, this just we speak about the 2012 Florida Gators defense so fondly. And there is there are, there are so many reasons why. Sharif Floyd, Dominique Easley, Dante Fowler, Matt Elam, John Bostic, Jelani Jenkins – Ronald Powell, Laurenti McRae, Marcus Roberson, 
Jalen Watkins, Josh Evans, Luchez Purifoy, like Antonio Morrison, so many incredible football players. John Bullard was even on this team. And people remember when John Bullard was budding a couple of years after this, but like he was even in this lineup. And so, I mean, th- just the, the talent that they had. Actually, I'm looking at it now, and like you could even throw Brian Poole, Neron Ball, Damian Jacobs, all of these guys into the mix. It's 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 one of the most stacked college football defenses. And when you, when you talk about maybe those, when somebody will be like, hey, what's one of the most underrated college football defenses of all time? Or what's one of the best college football defenses that never won a national championship? This is one of the first teams that will come to my mind, all bias aside, because of how incredible it was. So you had a ton of momentum going into the season. The must-champ era was about to be lit. I mean, it was about to take off. They had the defense that they wanted. All they had to do was really figure it out on offense, and this season could have been something special. And that was that was definitely the state of the program going in. There was a lot of optimism about it. And so, uh, yeah, there was a lot of reason to be excited. I sense some enthusiasm. A little uh, bit. Maybe it's just me. Just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. I think of this team very fondly. I really do. When you have that must champ quote, like, you know how there's like legendary quotes on like pictures or Instagram posts or uh, posters. I hope at the end, the, the it is on there and it's in all caps. (laughs) It has to be. And you got to remember too, this was fresh off the YouTube video that came out of must champ at halftime. When he went, this is the, when we call chop, YouTube Twitter video that came out and he's like, the mic's got to get here. The Sam's got to get around. The safety's got to come down. Everybody just do their job. And he punches the whiteboard. That was, <laughs> this was coming off that. That was now our head coach. We had that man as our head coach with this defense to his deployment. And so, yes, there was plenty of reason to be very excited. classic psycho move. Love I mean, look, this is the kind of guy that you want in, in yeah. charge of your defense, you know, that's right. You have the uh, coach in waiting as an OU fan. Like we call him the coach in waiting. That's like still his name, right? We, he's coach in waiting. And we, he went to coach in Florida, but it was fine. He was still coach in waiting. And you've got to, <laughs> a guy like that that builds a reputation off of a, a moniker like that. I mean, how do you break it? It's great. No, it's it's absolutely fantastic. That's it. That's it's, it's what you want. It's what you want to believe in a head coach and everything moving forward. And so, you know, f- funny story is we kind of get into the schedule here and, and we'll break down a lot of games. And man, like I said, uh, this was a roller coaster of a season. I've never experienced more highs as a college football fan um, than I have during this season. Uh, and it, But it, I, I would love to say that out of the gate, it was beautiful. It was exactly what I thought it would be. But funny enough, Florida starts their schedule hosting Bowling Green. Okay. And so this is my first year. At a, at a big public university, okay? I get on campus. Uh, I get situated where I'm going to live. I understand where, you know, like I'm learning where classes are. I'm learning how to be a, a, a big, a small student. And it's just this big campus, this big world. I'm so excited because students are able to, uh, you know, get into the game once you once you win the student lottery. They, they call it a student lottery, but basically everybody gets tickets. And so like you win the student lottery and you get season tickets. And I'm like, Bowling Green, baby, let's go. Let's go see Florida whoop up on somebody during their first game. And funny enough, I never even made it to the game because the people that I was out with, one, I, I, like I said, I came from a small private Christian school that I was at for three years prior to the University of Florida. 
the Friday before a game day in Gainesville, Florida, is was unlike anything that I had ever seen in my life. It was a party on the streets, in the bars, in the apartments, throughout campus. It was a wild, wild time. And I knew some friends up in Florida um, before I went up there. And so I ended up meeting them on Friday night. We stayed out way too late. And one of my friend's friends at the time, who I didn't even know that well, ends up getting belligerent drunk. I've got to babysit him, take him back to my apartment because we were worried that the man was going to like pass out in a bush and be left for dead or something. That's how intoxicated this guy was. So I had to take him back to my apartment and essentially babysit him while he's sleeping on my bathroom floor between puking and sleeping. And I didn't even get to make it to the game because I had to take care of his drunk hungover ass. So the very first game of this season, I didn't even get to see in person because I was at my apartment watching it on TV. So I don't have a ton of memories of the Bowling Green game. I know they won. They started the season off with a dub, which was what was most important. But uh, yeah, I didn't even get to see that first game in person, which then takes us to the next game of the season, which is where the story of this season really begins. And this is 2012. You remember who won the Heisman Trophy in 2012? It's Johnny Manziel. They played Texas A&M at Texas A&M for Johnny Manziel's first start of his career. Remember, this was a freshman who had never started before. And so they go on the road to Texas A&M, which is a very tough place to play. A&M was supposed to have a game before the Florida game, just like Florida had against Bowling Green. Um, but it had been postponed because of a hurricane that was coming through, and they weren't able to have the game. So the first game of Johnny Manziel's college career he plays the Florida Gators. And this was the first game of a few that I actually watched in the frat house because it was obviously at Texas A&M. So I didn't go to Texas A&M. So again, I, I'm just like, I'm, I'm basically swan diving into the college experience at this point, right? Can't even go to the first game because a friend of mine was too belligerent, really drunk. I couldn't even make it to the game. It wasn't even me. It wasn't even me this time. I was babysitting somebody else. And then when they play Texas A&M, I'm watching it at a frat house with a bunch of my buddies, and everybody's kind of going crazy for it. And this game was pretty wild because, like I said, we, we, we thought we had a really strong defense uh, at, at Florida, and we thought that that was going to be certainly what propelled this team to be as good as they possibly could be. And it was in the first two games, they played really, really well, but Manziel definitely gave them fits at one point in the game. Texas a and up was Texas A&M was up 17 to seven. And like, we were like, Oh, okay. Like this is like, this is not good. And Manziel was being not quite what he ended up being as the season went on, but you could see those flashes of like, okay, this kid's going to be a problem in college football. Like this is his first start and he's doing this. It's not like he was tearing apart through the air. I think he had like 178 passing yards and a bunch of rushing yards, but like, it's not like he was tearing them up. He was just really difficult to defend. He had that moxie, he had that, uh, th that new kind of style about him that traditional defenses weren't really used to. So he was bringing all that to the table. It took a Mike Gillisley rushing touchdown at the end of the game to just come away with the victory 20 to 17. And that was huge. That was a big party, stayed undefeated. And man, all I can say is that they are lucky that, well, I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to say that they were lucky that they played Manziel early because I also would have loved to see Florida's defense in its prime, like in the middle and end of the season, go up against Manziel 
when he was at his best because I thought that that could have been really fun too. But uh, I I will still say that they were fortunate that they did not play the best version of Johnny Manziel because even the version that they got that day early on in the season almost beat them. And Manziel went on to have an unbelievable season, beat Alabama to win the Heisman Trophy. Him and Mike Evans had almost an unstoppable year between the two of them. And so uh, that was... Well, yeah, right. So, I mean, like it was, it it was, they, they had an unbelievable season, but it started with an early loss to Florida. Thank God. I'm, uh, I'm very thankful for that. So the next week, the following week, not quite Trevor's initiation at the swamp. We got one more. Week. Right, right. That, right. And that's what, that's what was, the biggest tease in the world. That's what, I was, that's what I was so pissed about because I missed the Bowling Green game. And then I knew on the schedule, they were about to play Texas A&M and Tennessee. So like, there was a very real possibility that they would be one and two going into Kentucky, which was the next home game after that Tennessee game. And I was going to be fucking pissed if they were one and two, right? Like there's so much hype going into this season. If the ball bounced the wrong way, if Manziel did this, all of a sudden, like it could have gone, couldn't have gone well. And so they're two and oh, they're two and oh going into Tennessee. And being somebody who, was new to SEC football, new to Florida football. I was told throughout the week, which was this was this is a really cool part of being at Florida. And when you go to a big university that has a big college football program, um, especially one that that's obviously like very relevant. The entire week leading up to the game, like like the whole the whole fall and early winter, it is it's just about football. Like you're, you're like you're just talking about the game that happened and then the next game and like what, what, what you believe is going to happen, how they played all this kind of stuff. And it's really cool for the first time in my life. I was watching players and student athletes that I would have in class or would walk by on the sidewalk or all this. And like, I'm watching this stuff on like sports center and ESPN. Like that was so cool to me. Like something that, you know, I, I, when I say I'm a part of, like, I don't actually think that I was on the team. It's not like I thought like, oh yeah, I was there with him. Like, no, no, no. Like I, I don't, I'm not that cheesy about it, but it was really cool to see, you know, shots of the stadium of where I went to school and, and guys that I, I even know who are sitting there making highlights on ESPN. And it was such a, such a really cool feeling. And going into that Tennessee week, I was told Tennessee Florida rivalry is bitter, right? I mean, like the Texas A&M, they're in the West. They haven't always been in the SEC. Yes, I mean, it's a big SEC game, and they wanted to win it, but, like, Tennessee's a rivalry game. Like, this is one of Florida's rivalry games. It's Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, and obviously Florida State, but that's something at the end of the season. These 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 schools are, like, their rivals in the East that they're always going back and forth with. You can throw South Carolina in there as well, and we'll get to South Carolina because of the Spurrier connection. But they go into Tennessee, and I told you that there was, there was very real possibility that they could have lost. And that's because they had Tyler Bray as their quarterback, who was a, just a gunslinger, like a Favre type, like didn't give a fuck where the ball was going. He was just launching that bad boy. And good reason, because he had Cordero Patterson. He had Justin Hunter. He had all of these weapons. He had Rivera at tight end. Like he had all of these guys that he could have thrown to. And I would have told you if Florida's defense was weak anywhere, it was probably a corner. Lucius Pirafoy was their corner. Marcus Roberson, those were their outside guys. Jalen Watkins was kind of a sub-slot player for them. But it was just those dudes were very much athletes, very athletic corners who were boom or bust kind of potential, right? Either they were screaming off the edge on a blitz and they were coming to get a sack or 
you know, they were making it, t- taking a chance of getting an interception. They weren't like these lockdown, Darrell Revis, Stephon Gilmore, like kind of players that you could put on an island. So I thought, man, these these wide receivers for Tennessee, it, 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 this this could get ugly. And this was another this was another one where I, I just watched it with some friends and Florida ends up pulling away in that game. They end up winning. They they end up winning huge. And I, I remember, I think the final score was thirty seven to twenty, and it was just a party, man. I mean, where we were, the, my, my friends that I was watching the game with, they were so much. They they had been Florida Gator fans longer, almost their whole life. Like a bunch of them were like family Florida Gator fans. You know, their their dads and their dads' dads. They were Florida fans, so like they understood what beating Tennessee meant and how cool that was and how you really only get one shot to beat Tennessee in football every single year. And so they're the type of friends that got like a, like a baby alligator for their fifth birthday. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. These are the types of friends who like had like gators on their belts, you know, like, like those like custom belts where like, it's just like gators on there or like gators on like a polo or something like these are these are the kind of people who would just live and breathe orange and blue and i was watching it with a lot of those people and so um they certainly made it out to be a party when when uh the, the team started running up the score against tennessee and so that was uh you know for for them to come out of the beginning of the schedule three and oh against especially two really good teams in texas a&m and tennessee that's when you wonder that's when we all really started to think what could this season be? How special could this season be? Because, you know, we all knew what Nick Saban was building on the other side, right? Like, we all knew what Alabama was becoming. And, uh, you know, they had won a national championship. I believe it was right the year before, right, 2011. And, and I think that was the LSU game. And obviously, they had won it right before as well um, with uh, in the 2009 season when, when they faced Texas. And so, th- like, th- we knew it was was waiting for Florida, the excellence that they had to – exude if they wanted to be a national championship kind of team but this is where you start like you got to start and you got to come out of the gates hot and you got to play really well and I think they really started to show and flash their talents when they beat those two teams and you mentioned the triumphant kind of the the the, the triumphant entrance I will say for me as a Florida fan the very first game that I watched in the swamp I assume that before the game started even maybe before some of the pregame festivities that I've always kind of imagined that like somewhere around the stadium or in the near vicinity, there's like a moat or something like that where just alligators swim around. And I assume you just kind of have your baptism moment where you just get dunked in the swamp. And then if you don't get eaten alive, you're like initiated and then you can go inside. Is that yeah, actually when someone you- accurate? Yeah, no, when you scan your tickets actually, you have to you have to walk through a, a moat. Yeah, it's it's literally just go. a moat that goes across the stadium and um okay. actually you don't even they don't really really catch the validity of your ticket. It's just does a gator eat you and if so then you're worthy. Come on in. You can watch the you can watch the team play. So yes, that's there. They they end up they end up facing Kentucky and and to start the season Florida was ranked 23rd. Right. I mean, they're coming off a, a seven and six season. Yeah, they got a lot of talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. There's reason to be hopeful with Jeff Jerskill playing quarterback and winning that job. But they were ranked 23. They beat Texas A&M. They jump up to 18. They beat Tennessee the way that they do on the road. They jump all the way up to 14. They face Kentucky in the swamp. And this is my first this is my first game in the swamp. And man, I, I, I will never forget it. I will never forget walking through gate 38 or whatever you want to call it, Corridor 38, 
walkway 38, walking down to my seats and sitting, standing near the 50 yard line, right in the middle of the field and just taking it all in. Like the fact that 80, 90,000 people are all here to just watch and cheer on one team. And man, it, it was offense ended up being the downfall of this team. And, and we're certainly going to get to that, but for this defense to be as good as it was and for me and so many other people to get to experience what it's like being the loud section, right? When you have it, when you have an offense, that's really good as a fan, especially when you're there, you're supposed to be quiet, right? Like you don't cheer when the offense is on the field, right? Like it's, it's quiet. Like the, they, they've not, they got to be able to talk to each other. They don't want any kind of distraction, anything like that. When your defense is what's good. And you're losing your voice every single home Saturday because you're screaming on every single first down, every single second down, and you're finding another way to scream even louder on third down for this defense as they make big play after big play after big play. That was some of my favorite moments being a sports fan ever. And that will that will that season and, and this game, especially against Kentucky, getting to experience that for the first time, they pitch a shutout against Kentucky. They beat Kentucky 38 to nothing. So we had a lot to cheer about on the defensive side of the football. They were absolutely dominant. So they beat Kentucky by 38 points, and that puts them up to number 10. So all of a sudden, we're one month into the season, and we go from, oh, yeah, you know, like we were 7 to 6 last year. We like Muschamp a lot, like talent on the defense. Could be a cool year. Now we're ranked number 10. Now Florida's ranked number 10, and all of a sudden they're a top 10 team. And, and when you looked at the schedule that was still in front of them, they had LSU, they had South Carolina, they had Georgia, they had Florida State. It was all right in front of them, right? It's not like Florida was going to be sitting there in the 20s and, okay, if they win this big game, they'll get bumped up to 15 and it won't, like, it won't matter. Winning the way that they did early on made us believe that even a national championship was within reach if they took care of business against certain teams. And it really, truly started against LSU in this next game. They're there 4-0 facing LSU, but hosting LSU in the swamp. At the time, Florida was ranked number 10, and LSU was ranked number 4. Now, this is the LSU team that had Zach Mettenberger, Jeremy Hill, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, um, on the defensive side of the ball. Neil Hunter was on the team. Jalen Mills was on the team. Kevin Minter was on the team. Ego Ferguson was on the team. Sam Montgomery. Like, it was just, it was wild. It, th this, was, this was an incredibly talented team that LSU had. And, oh, Brad Wing was on this team. Oh, you son of a, you son of a, uh -huh. Brad Wing. <laughs> In comes LSU. And this was a massive game. Uh, I, I, believed, I believe this was a 3.30 game. I believe it was 3.30 because I remember I have pictures that showed the beginning of the game and the crowd at the beginning of the game and then a crowd shot at the end of the game. And I believe it's kind of like sunset over the stadium. So I believe, I believe it was a 3.30 start. So it must have been the uh, SEC game of the week. And that makes sense because it was number 10 Florida at number four LSU. And there's there was so much reason to believe that uh, this game was going to go a long way into determining who was going to represent each conference in the SEC championship and who might be the SEC eventual SEC champion. And this was the Matt Elam game. This, this was the game that made Matt Elam 
famous. And Matt Elam ended up going the back end of the first round uh, the year after this, the Baltimore Ravens. And he didn't have as good of a pro career as I thought that he was going to, but he was, he, he truly just took over this entire ball game. And it was, it was unbelievable to watch. I mean, he had so many Florida with Will Muschamp was so aggressive with their safeties. Matt Elam played more of a strong safety role where he was crashing down all the time consistently, either on the pocket or in the slot or crashing down on swings or, or quick game passes, whatever. And he was always the first guy there because the dude was like a bat out of hell anytime the ball was out of the quarterback's hands. He was just a heat-seeking missile. Um, he was so much fun to watch. He was, you know, he was that old-school kind of favorite player who just laid the boom and everything. And this is also, funny enough, this was the game where the where Florida had a punt and they pinned it really deep into LSU territory. And I think it was Luchez Purifoy who tackles the guy to, to, to pin them to get the ball down. And he kind of like looks over at the crowd and does like the hand pump up thing. And then Matt Elam out of nowhere just comes and like hit sticks Purifoy in the back and just like hit basically to like say like, like good shit, baby. You know, like like a good. But he lays him out, and Purifoy like gets up, like he's about to fight, like because he thought it was an LSU player. Like he, he got hit so hard, he thought it was an LSU player who was like retaliating. And sure enough, it's twenty two staring at him and just like nodding his head, and he's just like, okay, I guess I can't fight you. You're my starting strong safety. But Lucius Malfoy with friendly fire, so surprised when he got hit with a spell in the back. You got me wrong. I was taking a drink on that one. <laughs> I, I had never seen Harry, Harry Potter, Potter until about a month ago. And so if we would have really? done this podcast a month ago, I would have, I would have, that joke would have just been like yeah. over my head, just like nothing. I would not, I would not have even understood it, but now I, I do. Keep, and I it's a fan, it is a fantastic joke. That was good. I cannot read the name Lucius Purifoy without thinking Lucius Malfoy. Now, I, now I'm not going to be able to think of the two. Uh, <laughs> That was, it was just, it was the seeing red game for Matty Elam. It was, it was kind of what made him famous there. Um, him and, him and Josh Evans, the fellow safety. I mean, they, they were, they were so much fun to watch during that season. And, and I think uh, it's so, so much of a strength of Florida's defense was their interior guys, because they had Dante Fowler Jr. They had Sharif Floyd and they had Dominique Easley, right? I mean, like these are three first round picks. Um, they had Laurenta McCray as well. I think Leon Orr was on this team and, um, or not Leonor. I uh, can't remember. I can't remember the base end's name. But it's it's the they, they just had so much strength on the interior that if you ran the ball at the teeth of Florida's defense, they had those big dudes in the middle to stop you. And then if you said to yourself, "Okay, I'm going to kick it outside," so we're going to deal with that. Florida safeties were super aggressive at all times at coming downhill and making tackles at the line of scrimmage. So they really did. Unless you were a potent passing team. Florida really made and and like in 2012 that wasn't entirely like there weren't many teams who were like really lighting it up passing not in the SEC right right and so SEC like people were still like defense trying to emulate what Alabama and what LSU and what all these teams were doing and so Florida and Will Muschamp were there to perfectly defend that and um, that was also the game for Matt Elam where Odell Beckham Jr. caught a punt return and Matt Elam tackled him and got him right the second he touched it. And that was when Odell popped up and like gave Matt Elam the tap on the head, like a sarcastic tap on the head, like, oh, like good hit kid. And Matt Elam just looks at him and gives him the, the, I just put you to sleep, the hands up next to the, next to the head. And it's just, it's an iconic image that will just, 
live forever. And, and that game was so fantastic. And it ended up being a low-scoring game, and that's exactly the kind of contest that Florida wanted, wanted, wanted to play. And, and it ended up being, I think, 14-6 was the final score. And um, Florida ends up coming away with the victory. And that was, like I said, that was, that was the moment for this, this team where it's like, okay, they beat Texas A&M. Texas A&M had started to kind of go on a tear, and they realized how good Texas A&M was. They beat Tennessee in Tennessee when Tennessee was ranked, and now they just defended the swamp against number four LSU. They jump all the way up to number four in the country. And this is, again, this this was the moment as fans where we were like, okay, we really might have a chance to watch a national championship football team. This team is that good. The offense has got to get it figured out, but – we we believed that Florida's defense was good enough to maybe get them there. And they had Vanderbilt a week after that, took care of business at Vanderbilt, at Vanderbilt, and that was 31-17. to 17. And, um, yeah, all of a sudden they were almost halfway through their schedule, undefeated, 6-0, and uh, already had three ranked wins under their belt. And the, the teams that they that, were, that weren't ranked, they were absolutely taking care of business. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that was the first half of the season, and it truly could not have started any better for Florida. That's beautiful. So, do you eat alligator? I have eaten alligator before. Oh, you traitor! It's it's weird though. I don't, I don't. You know, now that you say it, I don't know if I've had it since I went to UF. I've had it before. I've had it before, but I'm thinking about it, and I might have been in high school when I tried like alligator tail and like it's fine it literally just tastes like like fried chicken or like calamari like if you ever had calamari before then it's basically like it's it's pretty much the same thing but uh I don't know if I've ever had it since because there's two there's two ways you could look at it right either you never disgrace your mascot like that either you would never dare eat your mascot or it's the highest honor it's like the highest form of sustenance becoming one with with the gator. So it's one of the two. I'm not sure which one I can lean on right now. I mean, longhorns aren't that tasty, but I'm sure Texas has eaten their fair share of uh, longhorns. I don't know about the horses that we have at OU, Boomer and Sooner. I mean, back in the day, you probably ate a lot of horse, but this day and age, it's not necessarily considered a, a good meal of choice. Well, game gamecocks are gamecocks are chicken, so I mean they're right. they're they're pretty they're pretty screwed there. Everything eats chicken, right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So they're probably pretty screwed there. So That's I guess eating cool. eating eating the chickens in South Carolina is probably a good segue to keep this going. Um, nice. So Florida at this point in the season, they're six and zero. They are ranked number four in 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 the country, and they host South Carolina who is number nine. And actually, Florida, actually, after beating Vanderbilt, they jumped up to number three. So it's number three. And these, this is the AP ranking, not the coach's ranking. So, I, I'm, you know, this sometimes, like, CBS might have shown a different ranking or something, or, like, one of the broadcasts might have shown a different ranking. But Florida, for the AP poll, they were number three going into this game. South Carolina was number nine. South Carolina was coming off of just beating Georgia, like, handily beating Georgia. And so they were feeling it you know this is connor shaw this is um marcus Lattimore. like this is a this is a damn good south carolina team and so with with them coming to florida again like this is this was an opportunity for the gators to really be able to prove themselves and it was one that they were going to have to get by if if they wanted to continue to go up and um, be a national championship contender this game stayed par for the course 
of the first half of the season when I tell you that it, it, it couldn't have been better. They ended up winning this game 44-11. to 11. I mean, they forced a turnover on the Florida's defense. If, uh, South Carolina, I think, got the ball first. Florida's defense for, forced a turnover on the very first possession, ends up scoring a touchdown on the very first possession. And from, like, that point on, it was just – I remember the highlights of this game, and it was it was suffocating. Again, like, this defense was just – on display, it was it was first rounders and NFL players just flying around to the ball. And South Carolina was a damn good football team. They they really were. They had Bruce Ellington and Connor Shaw and Marcus Lattimore and like all like all of these guys were on this team and they were good. Ace Sanders was on this team. Now that I'm thinking about it, and like these are fast, good playmaker kind of pl- guys. And Florida made them look like they didn't belong in the SEC. This was the number nine team in the country. And they won this game 44 to 11. And it was, it was, it was exactly how they wanted to win this game. It was defense first. It was absolute dominance out of the gate. It was Jeff Driscoll hitting a bomb to, to Hines, their hybrid tight end, who had like this one-handed grab in the end zone. It was just like, it was, it was, it was at that moment that you went. Can this team do any wrong? Is this team a team of destiny? Does God truly love the Florida Gators? Like, is this, is this going to be their year? You know, Urban Meyer spurned them and left them. Is 2012 going to be the karma coming back to Florida for, for, for Urban Meyer leaving the way that he did? And, and honestly, after that South Carolina game, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't tell us shit, man. I mean, we thought we could beat every single team in the country. We, you know, we, we thought that, Florida's defense was going to be able to hang with any offense. And, and we thought that Florida's offense had the chance to, to be able to hang with anybody. And, and, and certainly coming off of a couple of performances, yeah, it didn't look great against LSU, but they had, they had games of 37 points against Tennessee, 38 against Kentucky, 44 against South Carolina, 31 against Vanderbilt, 27 against Bowling Green to start the year, right? So you look at this and you go, for as much as you want to say, oh, you know, like the offense isn't really pulling their weight, there, were only, there was only one game to this point in the season where they scored less than 20 points. So we truly thought that, 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 that this was tr- this, this basically must champ's perfect team, right? Because identity goes into how well you're going to play down the stretch as well. And, and when we thought of Will Muschamp and what he wanted to do, it felt like this is the exact team for Will Muschamp. And the following week after South Carolina was the game that defined the season. It was Florida-Georgia. And yes, I say Florida, Georgia, because it's Florida, Georgia. It's not Georgia, Florida. Even if Georgia's hosting the game or Florida's hosting the game. I mean, it's not It's not the Georgia, Florida line. It's not the Georgia, Florida line. Why does St. John River flow north? It's because Georgia sucks, right? I mean, like, so look, it's always Florida, Georgia. It's always been Florida, Georgia, and it always will be Florida, Georgia. So they play this game. Neutral site field always is in Jacksonville. And part of me loves that. Part of me wishes that we could have a little home and home. I, I wish that they would do that at least once. Once do a little, okay, at Athens and then in Gainesville. I think that that would be a lot of fun. I'll tell you, this, up to this point in my Florida fandom career, it had all been fun. I'd never been to an away game. I'd only known 
to quote Thanos, blue skies and full bellies. It was a paradise. I'd, I'd, I'd only ever known games in Gainesville. It was just Gator fans as far as the eye could see. It was 90,000 people cheering for the same team that I was cheering for. And when I went to Jacksonville, I experienced disdain, the highest level in college football for the first time. Georgia fans would pass us on the sidewalk and they'd yell things at us and we would yell things at them. And when Georgia players did things well on the field and I had to listen to the, the, the whatever it was, 30,000 people wearing red on the other side of the stadium cheer, I wanted, I wanted them to have nothing to cheer about. I wanted them to shut the hell up. I didn't want any part of it. This was, and I had never, I never experienced this before in my heart. For any reason, because you like you guys know in pro sports, yeah, like you have certain rivalries. Like obviously, right. if, if you're a big Red Sox and Yankees fan, you know that rivalry. You know if you're if if you're fans of like the Packers or the Bears, you know you you feel that as well. That's a, that's a that's a big time NFL rivalry. But like Tampa sports, we don't have that. I mean, we've never had that. I mean, like yeah, okay, like Bucks fans and like you know like they don't like the NFC South opponents. Yeah, like they want to beat the Saints and the, the Falcons and the, and the Panthers. But like it's not that big of a deal. Like, like it's, it's really not like it is in college. When you have rivalries in college that go back decades and decades and decades, it's just all of this pent up rivalry feeling into one single game every single year. And it's, and it's unlike anything I'd ever felt before. And they yelling at you like, I don't like the color orange. Oh, I don't. You know, some there was there was a lot more expletives in there, but yeah, oh, I mean, I really don't like the color orange. Yeah, yeah, they they would throw a really in there. They'd throw an adjective in there, and it'd be that like, hurts. okay, that's 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 crossing the line, pal. That's that's just too far. I mean, yeah. if you don't like orange, it's There's fine. If you really, if you really don't like orange, you know, it's just it's it's, it's a lot of fuck yous. It's a lot of go to hell. It's a lot of like it's it's just it's it's a lot of that stuff. So you know, it 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 was kind of. But it was, you know, I think even more than, even more than maybe the, the insults that were being hurled pregame, it was the fact that Florida at this point in time was undefeated. And they had beaten a lot of really good opponents. And in this game, Florida started off very poorly, turning the ball over, letting Todd Gurley run all over them. Like they did not start this game very well. And to hear Georgia fans think that they could beat Florida. I just wanted them to shut the hell up. I just did. Like, I, how dare they think that they could beat Florida and ruin this season? You can't. They can't hang with us. They just lost it. They just got whooped by South Carolina. And we, and, and we beat South Carolina by 33 points, right? Like, you, don't, you guys don't even deserve to cheer right now. Our football team... We thought that Florida was so much better than Georgia. And we and it just it, it just it just bothered me to my core when I heard them cheer and think that they were uh that they that they were going to win this game. But look, it, it ended up being a massive back and forth. Florida was number three at the time. Georgia, the only reason they were outside of the top ten is because like I said, just right before, I think it was two weeks before, they had lost to South Carolina uh pretty badly. And so this was a top 10 team before that. And so we knew how talented they were. This is the Aaron Murray team. This is Todd Gurley. This is Keith Marshall, um, Bakari Rambo, Jonathan J- or John Jenkins, um, Jordan Jenkins, like a lot, a lot of really good Georgia Bulldogs were on that team. And it was a very, very good football team. And 
it did not go Florida's way for almost the entire game. They started off and um, Driscoll either had a pick or a turnover, and it just it wasn't good. But the defense continued to hold them in it. Aaron Murray threw three interceptions in the first half: two to their safety um, Josh Evans and one to the other safety Matt Elam. And like, if you went into the game telling me that our two that that, that Florida's two safeties had multiple picks in the first half, I'd be like. Florida's beating Georgia by 40 points. Like, it's not even, this is a bloodbath. And it wasn't. It's because the offense couldn't figure things out. And, and credit to Georgia's defense, they were playing really well. Todd Gurley's obviously an incredible running back, and he was able to, to, to dictate a lot of the flow of the game. And, you know, Georgia gets to the point where, you know, they were controlling the game. They never put it out of reach. It was, um, I think, 10 to 3 at one point, and then it was 10 to 6. And then it was nine to ten. It's like they, they were really close. And I think they got it to a one point game. And then Florida ended up or Georgia ended up completing a bomb pass and a blown coverage that got them like, I don't know, I think it was like a, a 50 or 60 yard score that ended up bringing the game a really big time defensive slugfest game to 17 to nine in the fourth quarter. Florida had on one of their last drives. And I remember this. Because I was row one for this game. I got very lucky. I was sitting row one in one of the end zones. So it wasn't like at the 50 or the 25. I was in the end zone on the Florida side. And I was row one. There was no one in front of me. It was me and a couple of my friends. And we are... The end zone that we were in was the one that Florida was coming to in the fourth quarter. And they need a touchdown. They're at about five minutes, four minutes, three minutes, marching down the field, and they need a touchdown and a two-point conversion to tie this game. It was 17 to nine. And I'll never forget this moment for as long as I live. Jeff Driscoll drops back to pass, completes it to tight end Jordan Reed, who catches it about the 12-yard line. He turns, breaks a tackle. He's got some, got about four yards of green grass in front of him before he's about to hit some Georgia players before he gets to the end zone. He, for whatever reason, thinks to himself, I'm going to jump in the air. And he jumps in the air. And as he does so, the Georgia defender hits him from the front and another Georgia defender punches the ball out from the back. And that ball goes flying into the end zone that I am sitting in. This is literally like 15 feet away from me. I watched that loose ball go into the end zone, and I watched the Georgia defender jump on it and hold it inbounds. Georgia takes over. They run it with Todd Gurley twice. He gets a first down. Florida loses. Might as well have just been your heart that flew out in the end. I will never forget that moment. Before the podcast, you and I were all talking about this. And, and, and the reason why these podcasts are so great and they're so cool is because you never forget how something makes you feel if it's a strong enough feeling. And right. I will never forget that moment for as long as I live because I that I the heartbreak that I felt, the the the, the powerless heartbreak that I felt in that moment, being a sports fan. And having something deeply sad in me that I could not control at all was a, was just a feeling that was that was uh, new and 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 awful and heartbreaking and made me question why I'm a sports fan. And so 
Um, I remember that. I remember Jordan Reed fumbling the ball into the end zone. I remember Georgia jumping on it. I remember them rushing the ball twice, getting a first down, getting victory formation, and uh, and ending up winning the game. And so it ended up being a 17-9 final. Number three overall, Florida, the perfect season, dashed in the worst way. If they lost to South Carolina, so be it. If they lost to LSU, fine. If they would have lost to Tennessee, even. Okay. Not Georgia. Don't, you, not anybody, anybody but Georgia. And I know if there's any Georgia Bulldog fans listening to this podcast, one, you're crazy because it's a Florida Gator podcast, but, uh, or an, or an episode, but, um, you know, I think that you're getting a lot of, you're getting a lot of joy out of my voice there when, when you hear that. So Florida goes down 17 to nine. That's their first loss of the season. And it- bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly. When you place your first wager at bet MGM, simply download the bet MGM app and sign up using code champion 150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. It was, it was tough to think at that point they dropped down from number three in the country down to number eight in the polls. And it was hard to think that they had a chance to get back because you got to remember the college football playoff wasn't around. It was the BCS. So only the number one and number two teams in the country had a chance to play for the national championship. And we knew that Alabama was going to be on one side. And Notre Dame at the time, this was Notre Dame's undefeated regular season. They were rolling. They looked really good. So with Notre Dame not having a super strong schedule or anyone to really take them out, they were already high in the rankings. And so if Notre Dame just took care of business, they were already going to take one spot. And if Florida couldn't make it into the SEC championship game, then they weren't going to... They weren't going to have a chance to play for the national championship. And even though Georgia beat, or even though Georgia lost to South Carolina, which is an SEC East opponent, they had the tiebreaker over Florida by now winning that game, which meant that all they needed was another South Carolina loss. Or I'm not even sure if South Carolina lost. Georgia might have just gone anyways. And so that was that was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking to know that Georgia really had a cakewalk almost to the. SEC championship game and Florida was really powerless. So. Emotionally, you might need a reset. Might need a reset and a refill. Okay. And before I want to ask you one really important question here, there were yeah. two quarterbacks that threw passes in that Georgia game. Uh, can you name the second Florida quarterback that threw a pass in that game and how many yards that that pass went for? Was it Trey Burton? It was. Was Trey Burton? Um, 
how many how many yards it went for i'm gonna say i don't remember the place this is a total guess i'm gonna guess i'm gonna guess 33 yards okay so this is the really difficult to guess yardage of a passing play of zero yards so <laughs> it is very rare that passing plays go for zero yards but I found that as one of the most intriguing stats of the entire game. So I, 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 when I started this podcast, I talked about the quarterback position, and not only did they have Jeff Driscoll and uh, Jacoby Brissett on the roster, Jordan Reed had played quarterback before. Trey Burton played quarterback in high school. Like they had all of these like weird quarterback options, and they would run Trey Burton as like this the wildcat that everybody just called like the Burton cat all the time. And like, it wasn't a real wildcat because normally in a real wildcat, there's not really a threat to pass, but like with Trey Burton, there kind of was. So they weren't afraid to put him at quarterback and let him sling it a little bit. So I figured the answer was going to be Trey Burton, but that is very funny. That is a zero yard pass. <laughs> zero yard pass. All right. Trevor is off for another drink. So it's time for us to grab a refill. From the Quack Cooler. Quack Golf is the official sponsor of the College Football Stories and all the Stories podcasts. I found Quack Golf uh, because I saw their logo on Twitter and thought it was awesome, genuinely. Uh, looked into their company a little bit more and found that, oh my, their apparel is awesome. Uh, these guys are from, I, I shouldn't say guys, these lads are from Dublin, Ireland. Um, and they've really, they've got a cool mission. They've set out to make golf apparel, uh, golf apparel uh, affordable and, you know, really interesting and, and enjoyable to wear. Um, it, it's for golfers, by golfers. Uh, this isn't your baggy stuff that you find at the pro shop. It's cut so well. I'm wearing it right now. Um, I'm wearing one of their quarter zips. Uh, it's the, the gray two-tone with the navy. It's great, super comfortable. Uh, I've been wearing it all day. You can wear it. On the golf course, obviously, but you can take this thing straight to the tailgate, go to the bar. Uh, you can probably sleep in these things and, and be you know, perfectly comfortable. They've got quarter zips, vests, shorts, uh, hats, belts, socks, basically anything that you can find uh, that you'd want. Uh, you can find that there on quackgolf.com. You can use our promo code STORIES15 and get 15% off your order. That's STORIES15. And... If you screenshot your order and send it to us at the Stories Podcast, uh, then we will send you some koozies for nothing. Uh, we just appreciate the support, and uh, we're trying to spread the good word of Quack Golf. So, so please do that and uh, keep listening to the Stories Podcast. That's K W A C K Golf dot com. What do you got there? So this is I've been getting more into making cocktails myself recently and this is a fedora at least the book that i'm following calls it a fedora it is cognac uh amber rum rye whiskey uh, a little bit of orange liqueur we've got lemon and then like a little bit of uh, a little bit of simple sugars to like help the bite so it's a it's a combination of a couple of different liquors and uh i like it man it's pretty good sounds delicious all right so you just went through the emotionally trying part, right? Yes. How do you recover? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was tough. Uh, it was, uh, again, not to speak as somebody who is like playing on the team, I'm sure it was a lot worse for those dudes. But, uh, you know, as a fan, you know, like coming off of that Georgia game and think that you were invincible and thinking that your team had a shot at the national championship. I mean, it was, it was, it was definitely a blow. Um, when you, 
face Georgia with those kind of stipulations. They're number three. Georgia's number 12. You beat Georgia and you're basically, you're in the SEC championship. You are going to have a chance to face Alabama. Winner goes to the natty. Like that was, that was, that was what was right in front of them. They had beaten LSU already. They had beaten A&M. They had beaten, um, they had beaten Tennessee. They had beaten South Carolina. They had beaten all of these teams. And this was kind of their last real test because, um, even with Florida State looming, which was going to be a tough game, that was always going to be a tough game, that wasn't going to affect their SEC standings. So they knew that like, even if they were to lose to Florida State, as long as they had beaten Georgia, they had the chance to then beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. They weren't going to keep the SEC champion out of the BCS national championship that year, and that would have been Florida. And by losing to Georgia, it basically all but sealed the fact that there was no way that they were going to make it to the national championship. So it was tough. And so it's, it's hard when you look at a season like that when the college football playoff didn't exist. It was really hard to look at a season like the one that Florida was having and not just have disappointment. And that, they, like, that sucked. Like, that, that part also really sucked because you didn't want to feel disappointed about this season. It was so much fun. This defense was so fantastic. You got to know so many fantastic players. All these guys were playing so well. And you had so much fun watching these t- this team and it it just it really sucked that one game kind of like takes the air out of the balloon if you will in in what could have been in that season so right after that they kind of they kind of have a stinker of a game against Missouri they only end up beating Missouri by by four by uh, seven points they end up beating them 14 to 7 that was at home um they play Louisiana the next week and again it's just a seven point win i remember i was at that game and that was a lot closer than it needed to be. I'm pretty sure that Florida didn't even pull away in that game until the very end of the game. I've got the score right here. It was 20 to 20. I totally forgot about this. Oh Oh my gosh. (laughs) This was 20 to 20 against Louisiana. Okay. Two weeks ago, we were talking about this Florida Gators team being a national championship contender. And then they only beat Missouri by seven points at home. Here they are tied with with Louisiana with one minute and 40 seconds left. They had to tie it up in the fourth quarter because they were down 13 to 20. They tied up with a minute 40 left, 20 to 20. And then um, there was a punt return that Florida forced a fumble on with two seconds left in the game. And they ended up recovering a fumbled punt for a touchdown to end wow. up winning that game by seven. And so that was, that was honestly, that's probably the most slept on game of the entire season. Because if you weren't there, if you didn't live through this season, you will have looked at that Louisiana game and you just look at the box score and you go, oh, okay, I mean, like, they won. Yeah, dub. So, you know, they beat Missouri, beat Louisiana. Let's move on. Let's talk about Florida State. But that Louisiana game, they were down a touchdown up until a minute 40 left in the game. I mean, you could tell, you, you, you can hear in my voice how painful it was as a fan watching that Georgia loss and, and knowing you don't have a shot at a national championship anymore. And you saw on the field over the course of those next two weeks that the players are human just like everyone else is. And they felt it too. 
They should have kicked the shit out of, out of Missouri, and they didn't. They only beat them by seven at home, a place where they had demolished the number nine team in the country in South Carolina, a place where they had beaten and upset an LSU team that was ranked well ahead of them just about a month, a month and a half before that. And so, you know, you, you have those disappointments there. And, I mean, that Louisiana game, again, like they, they, they thought that they were just going to show up and be able to snap back into reality, but they didn't. Um, they end up getting that win in emphatic fashion when Jelani Jenkins forced that fumble and ended up picking it up and returning it and, and winning that game by seven. But that was a lot closer call than, than it needed to be. It really was. It's possible that that was a, a track game looking ahead to that Jacksonville State game. That's right. true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, because like, all, all eyes were, were on the Jackson State game, of course. They end up winning that game. Weird question. Oh, why, why is the Jacksonville State do, why do they not have uh, HTML coding on their name? Like everybody else, I can click on their name and, and go to their team, but for whatever reason, I can't go to that one. Maybe the game never happened. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it never happened. Maybe, maybe they just wanted to throw it in there. and uh, maybe it's, It was just a 23 to nothing win. We just threw it in there. Like, hey, we'll just assume that it's SEC. We, we would have beaten somebody. We'll make if, up a... If a team isn't hyperlinked, and they fall in the forest. Does it still make a sound? It still make a sound. I, you know, I, w- I would tell you that I can't prove that it does. I can't prove that it does make a sound. But they do. They do count it as a win. Florida got to ten wins, beating Jacksonville State. And so again, you know, you look at this season and you go, man, this is such a great season. Seven six the year before, second year Will Muschamp. How well this defense is played? Ten and one. You don't want to sit here and you don't want to think about disappointment. Yeah, that's that's the last thing anybody wanted to do, but unfortunately, it was all that was on everybody's mind. And at this point, Florida dropped down from number three to number eight after losing to Georgia. They climb up to they climb up one spot uh, to number seven. And after their Titanic win over Jacksonville State, they move all the way up to number six. And then they go to Doe Camp, and or th- this is that's a tough place to play in college football. When Florida State, especially during the Jimbo Fisher era. When Florida State was rocking, they were number three. They were number ten in the nation at this point. It was number six versus number ten, and this was the game that got Florida juiced again. This was the game that got them back into form, if you will. Something that we really had not seen until Georgia. And I and I think you know I wasn't in the locker room, but I'm sure the message was very clear from Will Muschamp. It's like, look. What kind of team do you want to be remembered as? Because are we going to play for a national championship this year? No, probably not. But you beat really good opponents and had a phenomenal season. You've already got 10 wins. If you can beat Florida State here and get to 11-1 and in the regular season, that is a season that will go down in Florida program history, whether or not they played for a national championship. And I have to, I have to think that that was the message going into all week, that this was a rivalry week. This mattered. This was their redemption. And they came out and they played really well. Florida ends up starting this game off 13 to nothing. A couple of field goals. And Mike Gillisley run. It's exactly what they wanted. They were shutting out Florida State for a long time. But then Florida State got back into it. EJ Manuel, um, Nick O'Leary, Dustin Hopkins, they were all on this team. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other Florida State players. Oh, Devonta Freeman was on this team. Uh, obviously, like a lot of the a lot of the guys that kind of paved the way for the Jameis Winston era teams that were coming, uh, coming down the line. They were on this team. So like Rashad green was on this team. Um, James Wilder jr. Was on this team. Florida state on defense. They had like Christian Jones, Bjorn Werner, Terrence Brooks, Xavier Rhodes, Tammy Jernigan. 
um, LaMarcus Joyner, Telvin Smith, Carlos Williams, like all of these guys were on this team. So it was stacked. It was stacked lineup against stacked lineup. And Florida started the game off, like I said, on a 13-0 lead. Florida State comes back 17 on an extra points, and all of a sudden it's it's 13 to 17. Florida State scores another field goal and it's 13 to 20. And here we are as Florida fans thinking, oh boy. I wasn't at this game. I didn't I didn't travel to, to Tallahassee, even though it's not too far away. I didn't travel away for this one. I was just absolutely sweating. I you know what? I can't even I can't remember where I was for this game. I can't remember if I was out or if I was at somebody's house. I cannot remember where I was for this game. And I think the reason why I can't remember where I was is because I was basically buried in my phone because my friends were at the game. And I was constantly just texting them in our group text throughout the game, just like pouring my emotions out. And so my 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 field of vision was either my phone or the television. And so that's probably why I don't remember my surroundings a lot, just because how intense this game was. Florida ends up getting a field goal and then scoring again. Mike Gillisley scores another rushing touchdown. It's 23 to 20. They score another touchdown. It's 30 to 20. Now we're really believing and to really cap it all off. We have a 32-yard Matt Jones run. Matt Jones, one of the unsung heroes of this team that everybody loved. He was a running back, wore number 24, had dreadlocks, was big, strong, fast. Everybody thought he was coming on next after Mike Gillisley, that he was going to be the fantastic running back to take over. And this is almost like peering into the future, watching him run straight up the heart of that Florida State defense to extend their lead from 20 to 30 to uh, 37 to 20, I believe is, is what it was at that point. And Florida State ended up scoring another touchdown, but it wasn't it wasn't enough. Florida got the victory there. I wish I could have been in Doak to, to, to celebrate it with the Gators fans and cap off a great regular season. But I'll remember forever the image that a photograph that was taken after the game of, I believe it was Dominic Easley taking a Gator flag and planting it on the Florida State logo in the middle of the field. And Matt Elam is laying on the field next to the flag doing a snow angel. There's no snow on the ground. There's no, like, there's no snow. But he's just doing a snow angel on the Florida State turf. And he's just, like, waving his hands and everything. And, you know, a couple of Gators players are kind of mocking the the tomahawk chop and the, the war chant, and they're chomping on the field and everything. And so it was... It was some heartwarming redemption beating Florida State, getting at least one win over their major rivals. Because as much as Tennessee is a rival, as much as they play LSU every year, as much as South Carolina and Kentucky have been rivals in the past, Georgia and Florida State stand alone in tier one of Florida rivalries, at least over the last decade, certainly since I have really followed Florida football. And for them to not go 0-2 when they could have very easily just gone 0-2 against two really good teams there, it was a great way to cap off uh, the regular season. 11-1, it was unbelievable. And then they sat and waited. And they had to sit and wait because, as I mentioned before, Georgia had the tiebreaker over Florida. So Georgia went to the SEC championship game against Alabama. And at the time, Notre Dame, how about this? Notre Dame was ranked number one. Alabama was ranked number two. Georgia was ranked number three. And Florida was ranked number four. So Florida, sitting there at number four, had no chance to get into the national championship because it was number two 
versus number three, and they were playing each other, and the winner was going to take the number two spot. And it was just gut-wrenching. Again, like, it was just pain. Like, it was the Will Smith meme where it's just pain, you know, and it's just the sad tears where there's just nothing that you can freaking do about it. And you just, you're sitting there watching it, and I remember watching that SEC championship game, and I'm just like, God, I hate all of you. I want, I want the color red to be abolished. I want, you know, the Georgia Bulldogs football program. I never want to see red again, and that was just all I saw on the screen for the SEC championship. Alabama ends up winning the national championship, and it was, it was funny, though, because uh, there, there were, Florida was in an interesting situation and all three of those SEC teams were in really weird situations because again, we, I've, I've got to take people outside of the college football playoff mindset because we always think about, okay, like four, four, the, the, there, there's leeway. There's leeway here. If you, if you potentially lose a championship, there wasn't. And I think Alabama was undefeated. No, no, no. Alabama had the one loss against Texas A&M. So they had the one loss against Texas A&M to Johnny Menzel. And if Alabama lost or if Georgia lost, either of those teams was then not going to be the second best SEC team, which meant they were not going to go to the Sugar Bowl, which was a really big deal at that time because before it really kind of went into the college wall playoff rotation, the Sugar Bowl was huge. As an SEC team, you had two, like you had basically. Three potential goals on the season. Going to the national championship is obviously goal number one. Winning the SEC championship is another goal. And then the Sugar Bowl was another one. Those were the three goals that were right there. It was boom, boom, boom. It was those three things. And I remember there was a quote by Nick Saban who looked at Florida being ranked number two. And he basically like kind of complained about this. He basically was like, it's not fair that the loser of this game is not going to go to the Sugar Bowl. It's not fair that that's going to happen because how can you make the SEC championship game and then give the Sugar Bowl to a team that didn't even make the SEC championship game? And a lot of Gators fans were like, F you, Nick Saban. If you don't want to play in the SEC championship game, you don't have to. We'll take your spot. We'll do it. And so we, there was a big – there was all sorts of controversy that was along with that. But uh, as we know, Alabama ended up winning that game. Alabama went on to play Notre Dame. Alabama went on to embarrass Notre Dame and win the national championship that season. Florida got the Sugar Bowl. Georgia lost to Bama, dropped below Florida, and then Florida ended up getting the Sugar Bowl against Louisville. And uh, just, just, to, just to pour salt in the wound even more, when Alabama demolished Notre Dame in that national championship game, it only made us feel worse as Florida fans, knowing that all they had to do was beat Georgia. And they would have been in that SEC championship game, and they would have been right there with Alabama. And maybe Alabama beats them. You know what? Like, obviously, like, that's not a – I'm not saying it was a guarantee that we were going to beat Alabama. Nothing close to that. I'm not saying that. But they'd have been right there. If the defense was good enough, it would have been back and forth. And if they would have beat Bama, they would have for sure – kick the absolute shit out of Notre Dame because Notre Dame was overrated as hell that year. And that could have been Florida's national championship. But I digress, folks. Florida ends up getting the Sugar Bowl. And it's against Louisville. And it is against the Louisville team, Teddy Bridgewater, quarterback, and Charlie Strong as their head coach. Florida Gator fans knew Charlie Strong very, very well because Charlie Strong was the defensive coordinator during Urban Meyer's days when they were winning national championships. So 
it was kind of this like, oh, cool, you know, like Charlie is facing Florida again. Like this is this is fantastic. Like this is this is gonna be kind of like a cute, like fun little matchup. Um, I can't remember what Louisville was ranked. Oh, Louisville was ranked like twenty second. Louisville was ranked twenty second going into the Sugar Bowl. They had a fantastic season. They were eleven and two. They were eleven and two going into this in this game, but Florida was ranked four. Like, but we were going to beat Louisville. Like, it's not like like what are you talking about? Like, we're playing. We're out here playing like the number twenty two team in the country. Like, it's like it's it's it, of course we're going to beat Louisville. And a really cool way that I I kind of like capped off this season with a bunch of my friends is we were there. We were there for that game. We traveled to New Orleans, and at the time, the Sugar Bowl was on New Year's Day. So we got to do New Year's Eve in New Orleans, and we were there a couple of days early. And so we were partying it up a couple of days before. We didn't have a worry in the world. That was my first time ever in New Orleans. So I was having a good time. I was there for cool reasons. There were a ton of Gators fans there. Louisville fans didn't even think that they were going to win the game. We thought this was going to be a great way to cap off the season. It was going to be Florida 12-1. and 12 and one probably ending up as the number three or number two team in the country, depending on where they were going to rank Notre Dame and Alabama after that game was over. And so we thought to ourselves, like, what a great way to cap off the season. And then Jeff, Jeff Driscoll threw a pick six, like 15 seconds into the fucking game. And it, and it was, it was just, it was just a nightmare. It was just a nightmare from that point forward. Louisville ends up going up 17 to 3. They end up going up. Okay, this this these are the progression of scores, okay? 7 nothing immediately. We're like 15 seconds into this game. They kick the ball off. Jeff Driscoll's first pass is to pick 6. All right? 7 nothing. Okay, that wasn't supposed to happen. Florida then goes 3 and out again on their next possession. Louisville scores again on the next possession. It's 14 nothing. Florida kicks a field goal. Then Louisville kicks a field goal. Then Louisville scores a touchdown. It's 24 to 3, guys. This wasn't supposed to happen. We what? This team, this team is 22nd in the country. Okay. I get they have a good quarterback. I get that Charlie Strong's a good coach. Like, cool. Great. You're not supposed to be messing around beating Florida. This was our year. This was our year to be special. And they were out here ruining it. And it's really funny because. This is when I really started to get into like my draft analyst work. Like people ask, like, "Oh, how long have you been covering the draft?" Honestly, like 2011 was my first year that I started like writing scouting reports. But 2012 was the first year that I started to really do rankings and a lot of mock drafts and things like that. So this was the first year that I was really getting into the NFL draft and kind of taking it seriously and wanting this to maybe be a career. And Teddy Bridgewater is my QB one. I had Teddy Bridgewater as QB one in that class, and. um well, actually, it, it was it was it would have it would have been the year after that he would have declared. But like, I love Teddy Bridgewater. Like, I thought he was one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and so I had a ton of respect for him coming in. And there were, I'll say, there were three iconic images. There's more than that, but I'll just say there were three iconic images from Florida that came from this season. The Matt Elam night night to Odell Beckham Jr. was one of them. <laughs> The Jordan Reed watching the ball fly out of his hands for the fumble against Georgia. That was another one. And then in this game, there's an image. I think you guys will know what I'm talking about. Where John Bostic, the middle linebacker of Florida, number one, 
one of my favorite players on the team, a player that I absolutely love, the center and the heart and soul of what was going on in that linebacker room behind the defense before the secondary. I love John Boston. He comes in and he pops Teddy Bridgewater so damn hard, his helmet flies off. Bridgewater's helmet flies off him. He hits him straight under the chin, and there is an image where it looks like Bostic just hit him like Floyd, like like uh, like uh, like Mike Tyson, just straight. The arm is out and it's extended, and the the image in the frozen image is one of the best images that came from the entire season. Well, Teddy Bridgewater is okay, so I'm allowed to say that. It looks like he just straight Mike Tyson's this dude. The helmet is flying off. You see Bridgewater's face, and it's it is it's like he just got smacked in the face by Bostic's punch, but it really wasn't that. It was a hit, but it was a brutal hit, and I'll never forget this. Teddy Bridgewater, after that hit, gets up, picks up his helmet, just puts his helmet back on immediately. He looks at Charlie Strong, and he, without saying anything to Charlie Strong, just gives him the thumbs up, just says, yep, good. It's, it's one of the hardest hits I've ever seen, and the pictures of it make it look even worse than that. And it just it paints the picture of how incredible of a hit this was. And Bridgewater gets up, and he just, after the hardest hit that Florida could possibly give him, thumbs up to the sideline. That's all he gets. And I was like, all right, we're screwed. We're done. This, this is about it. And the rest <laughs> of the game, you know, just didn't. I mean, Florida was never able to recover. It was, it was the, I think that it was the, uh, I'll say, long time coming of Jeff Driscoll just having this unraveling kind of game where Florida loved to lean on Mike Gillisley and their their rushing attack. Uh, Matt Jones certainly, as the season was going on, they leaned on him as well. But they like to run the ball and rely on their defense. And all of a sudden, in the third quarter, Florida was down thirty to ten, and defense wasn't playing well and running the ball was no longer an option and Florida ended up scoring the last two touchdowns in this game but I mean it wasn't enough they the the final score of this game was 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 23 to 33 but it wasn't even that close and it was it was a bummer it was a it was a bummer of a way to end what was a really special season for the Florida Gators Uh, I think that they ended the year 11 and 2 that was their final record final game of the year was a loss in the Sugar Bowl but it, 2012-2013 was without a doubt the most emotional year I've ever had still to this day as a sports fan. And it was the highest highs and it was some of the lowest lows and um, didn't end the way that we as Florida fans wanted it to, but that didn't make it one hell of a ride all the way. Trevor, we'll get you out of here on this. You talked earlier about your disdain for the Georgia Florida neutral site game. The what? Uh, if that, Florida, if that Florida, Georgia, Georgia Florida game. The uh, what? I don't recall that game on the schedule. I was going to try and Georgia. get through the question and see if you noticed that obviously didn't work. Yeah, I noticed. I noticed. I noticed every time. <laughs> All right. So now I'll ask the question as, as it is intended to be read. So earlier you talked about your disdain for the Florida Georgia neutral site game. Oh, yeah, that one. Florida-Georgia game is at the Swamp. Is there any doubt that Florida wins that game? Um, I mean, maybe maybe a little bit. Like, I think that you certainly, you know, when you, when you think of games being home and away, I think you often think of defense first. And 
you know, going back to what we talked about with that game, it's hard to imagine Florida could have played better defense, right? You get three turnovers on Aaron Murray in the first half. And it's basically like, you couldn't ask for anything better than that. So in that sense, it's almost like, okay, well, how much would home field advantage really have mattered to the defense? Maybe not that much because they already played stellar. I think that game, but I think it probably matters more to offense and Florida also had just some boneheaded turnovers and whether or not those happen if it's in Gainesville or not that's a a huge what if but um you know what for this for the sake of this answer and maybe for the sake of my sanity I'll say that sure if this game was in Gainesville Florida wins that game and they're headed to the SEC championship there you have it that is the story and these are the college football stories Was it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at the CFB Stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network at the Stories Pods on Twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. If there is if there is anything that I am, it is dramatic and emotional. So this should be this should be right up y'all's alley. Looking forward, I mean, to 2013. I mean, we, the expectations were decently high. You had a lot of people who were coming back on the offensive side of the ball. Mike Gillisley wasn't there, but you had Mac Jones, who who you were confident leaning on. Kelvin Taylor, Fred Taylor's son, he was there, and and you thought that you were going to get some good things out of him. Quentin Dunbar, Solomon Patton. Ahmad Fulwood, Demarcus Robinson, like those guys, they were going to lean on them heavy on offense. Defense is where it was it was it was going to be tough. I mean, they lost Matt Elam, they lost Josh Evans, their two starting safeties who made such a big difference. I mean, they didn't have John Bostic anymore, Jelani Jenkins. Um, they didn't have Sharif Floyd. They didn't have uh, Dominic Easley. Like all of these dudes were actually Easley was still on the team that year. Him and Fowler were the two um, defensive linemen that they kind of really really relied on, but. The rest of the group, I mean, it was very, you know, that was Marcus May and Keanu Neal's first year. That was when Vernon Hargraves came along. So they knew the secondary was just going to be a lot younger. And it, I mean, I'm not going to lie, like it, it turned out to be a nightmare. They started that season and it, they, they beat Toledo to start out the year, but then they went to Miami. I, I went to that game down in Miami and they ended up losing that game. It was oh brutal. I mean, like that, I, I just feel like the offense just, it played so poorly. They ended up losing that game 21 to 16 and, they won the next three. It was a Tennessee game, but Tennessee wasn't nearly as good as they were the year before. Kentucky, again, it was an easy win for them. Arkansas. So they're sitting there at four and one, and it's like, okay, they've really got something here. Maybe it can be kind of a, a really nice season. Not maybe to the level that, that 2012 was. I don't think we had that high of aspirations, but it could just still be a solid season. Then it was at LSU, loss, at Missouri, loss, um, against Georgia on a neutral field, lose by three. They ended up losing to Vanderbilt almost. Vanderbilt doubled them up, 34-17. to 17. They, they lost, boom, 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 boom. That's four losses in a row. They went to South Carolina, lost to South Carolina. I was at that game as well, and that was a night game. That was tough to watch. They lose by five in that game, and all of a sudden, it's like that's five losses in a row, and then the nightmare happens, okay? You talk about Jacksonville State, a team without a hyperlink. They lost to a team without a hyperlink. They lost to Georgia Southern. Uh, they lost to Georgia Southern 
in the swamp, 26 mm. to 20. And Georgia Southern, guys, you ready for this one? Didn't complete a single pass. This was a, <laughs> this was a triple option football team. And they did not they did not complete a single pass in this game. And that's rough. When you lose to a team that doesn't complete a single pass on your home turf, that's supposed to be a game where you're paying them a million dollars for them to get killed. That's bad. And then they just got, they just got absolutely obliterated by Florida state. That was the, that was the Jameis Winston season, the 2013 season, Florida state was ranked number two in the country. They had a defense that rivaled Florida's defense the year before. And then they had a Heisman trophy winning quarterback in, uh, in Jameis Winston. So that was never going to be a win. And they ended up going four and eight. They went from 11 and two to four and eight in the second season. And that was really the beginning for, of the end for Will Muschamp. They end up going seven and five the year after, and then they fire Will Muschamp the following season, and um, they bring in Jim McElwain. So it was it was crazy, and it's and it's a. I love 2012 because it was the absolute peak and the highs of Will Muschamp, and it was a lot of things that you love to believe in and that you love to watch, and that were a lot of fun. But uh, there's no doubt about it that it it avalanched after that. They went they went downhill fast. That four and eight season was really bad. Seven and five the year after, absolutely mediocre. I mean, like that wasn't good either, and so. Um, 2012, it was special, but it was fleeting. And maybe that's why we remember it so fondly. Cause it's, it's one of our favorite Florida football seasons over the last probably 10 years. So although you're, you're very apprehensive, no apprehensive is too soft a word. Uh, you will not allow it to be called the Georgia Florida line after the unhyperlinked game, as we'll call it. Is it appropriate to call it the the Florida Georgia Southern line? I'm not answering this question. <laughs> I will not step into that. That was Jarek McKinnon, by the way. Jarek McKinnon was on that oh, yeah. uh, Georgia Southern team, and that was like kind of his like coming. I mean, like he's he had been, he had played really well before then, but it was like, oh, he's good. And obviously, like now he's a, he's an NFL player and he's been around for a while. So yeah. that was embarrassing. That was that was. That's the that's the toughest game. I mean, like even like getting blown out by Georgia, like Florida has in some years, and and like getting out blown out by Florida State, like that still to me wasn't as bad as this Georgia Southern game was. I mean, that was it was it was tough. It was, it was, a, it was, a, that, was that was a tough game. Uh, Renners, it was episode five for for the Notre Dame one um, when they went to the national championship and got destroyed by Alabama. He told us the story of how, for some odd reason that he does not know why, he decided to uh, just bring a whole like jug of Bloody Mary mix and just chug Bloody Marys during the game. <laughs> and it was not going well, so he just kept drinking them, and he ended up in the hospital. So, so this is the same. This is this will be my episode is the same year. It's twenty. It's twenty twelve. Yeah. So yeah. funny enough, he's yeah. he's talking about it from uh, and like you just bringing that up. I don't think we'll get to talk about this on the podcast, so I don't think I'm ruining anything. You guys, it's funny that you say you remember emotions of where you were. I remember exactly where I was when the Deadspin article dropped that Manti Teo's girlfriend was fake. I remember exactly where I was. I was in my apartment that I rented in Gainesville and I was sitting on the edge of my bed and I remember it came out and I went, there's no way. And then uh, obviously it ended up being true. So it's just funny that uh, funny little connection there.
I have to say, Tampa Bay Trey is one of the best handles. It's one of my favorite ones. It's just, it's just got such a, a roll. It's so easy, right? It's so easy. Yeah. It's man. It's so funny because I, 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 I came up with Tampa Bay Trey and like, I think it was, I think it was around this time. I think it was like 2010, 2011, just because I got on Twitter for the bucks. And I, I remember like, that was the whole reason I was on Twitter is because I was at, well, I was a Tampa Bay sports fan. And so like Tampa Bay Trey, cause I couldn't fit Trevor. Like I didn't even think about it at the time. I was just like, Oh, I can't. Yep. And it's Character the funniest limit. part about it is no one calls me Trey. Like <laughs> no one has ever called me Trey before my Twitter handle. Nobody like my parents didn't call me that. Nobody called me that growing up. Like, like literally no one has ever called me Trey. And now since I've kind of gained a following in media sure. and pursued this career, and that is my Twitter handle. People naturally call me that. They just, they just, they just naturally call me Trey. And it's just, it's, it's so funny how that was the case. Like it was just no one, no one's ever called me that before Twitter. And uh, yeah. now I, I can't change it. I can't change it. I love it. I love it too much. I can't change the handle. That's so, so how does it make you feel being the guy that made up his own nickname? I, that's a great question that I really did not think of until you just asked it right there. But um, I guess that's pretty narcissistic and that's pretty on brand for me. So. And I have another question. Um, so is Jacksonville state Jacksonville tech or Jacksonville university, the best football team in Jacksonville? I think Jacksonville A and M's actually, you know, really slept on actually out of that group. You know, you left those guys out, and I think that they're. I mean, they're they're really they're really building something special there. So, uh, no, I think yeah, absolutely. You know, that's the the the, the four horsemen of Jacksonville football programs right there. The poor Jacksonville Jaguars can't even make the top four. <laughs> they didn't make the no, cut. They'd be, no. they'd be five at best. They'd be five at best. SEC yeah, they'll, man, they'll take top five anything. <laughs> Uh, you wouldn't be able to get any into any single bar, anything like that. People would be going crazy the night before. When 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 Florida was good, when they're just good no matter what, it doesn't really matter who they're playing. Obviously, like if it's game day or if it's you know a, a, a ranked matchup like we're about to talk with here with Florida and LSU, all of that obviously just magnifies it even more. But it's it's always a pretty pretty crazy scene no matter what. That's awesome. I'll just say they they couldn't play Citadel because Alabama probably had them scheduled that week. That's that's probably true. Alabama had them <laughs> weeks one, three, and us uh, and eight. So um, yeah, no, they they were probably they were probably busy that week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.